I'm going to get into my message. We're going to be in Ezra uh, for the most part. We're going to be in Ezra chapter, what chapter are we going to be in? Ezra 6. Ezra 6 and 7. And I'm going to give you a, a big, gigantic caveat. Um, everything I'm about to teach you has nothing to do, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a chart of, of um, church participation um, over the past 50, 60 years. And I'm showing you this chart. Number one, what I'm not doing is knocking big churches. That's not what I'm doing. I don't desire to do that. One day we're probably going to have a big church too, so I'm, I'm not knocking that at all. Um, when I use the phrase megachurch, the phrase megachurch, I'm talking about a mindset of consumerism. So there's a lot of really big churches that don't think like that. One of those is the one that I came from, New Spring Church. We used to think like that. Um, and they have made a gigantic shift out of consumerism, and they're, they're just doing a lot of awesome things. So, so when I say the word megachurch, I do, I'm not talking about just big churches. I'm talking about a mindset of consumerism, Okay. So I just want to lay that out because sometimes it sounds like, man, Josh is just knocking big churches. I'm not because, like I said, one of these days we're going to be a big church like we just are. And um, we're already a big church if you'll see it correctly. But, um, but anyway, and so as I go through this, I just want you to keep that in mind. I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about an, a, a, an ideology, okay? Y'all good? Okay. All right, here we go. In the 1980s, a man by the name of Bill Hybels came up with a plan to combat stale and boring church by doing church in a way that spoke to contemporary concerns, this is a direct quote, that spoke to contemporary concerns of suburban professionals. So he rented out a movie theater, and he started meeting with 150 high schoolers. He was a youth pastor at the time. Later, about a year and a half, two years later, this became one of the first mega churches in America and a model that many have since followed. And the plan was simple. The plan was to target a young, middle-class area with relevant attractions. This is all direct quotes. Relevant attractions like events and programs for the families to preach sermons that motivated, motivational sermons, and to do music that sounded like what is popular on the radio. So in essence, you could say the, the plan was to, to be cool. Okay? For America's Greek-inspired consumerism mindset, that... Oh, was that you? Okay. That absolutely worked. Okay? Do you remember, remember the quote from the Greek philosopher um, Pythagoras? The quote from Greek philosophy is, man is the measure of all things, right? The philosophy of America is this, man is the measure of all things, right? Not saying that's a good or bad thing, that's just who we are. We're, we're consumers, we consume. And so the church noticed, man, if everybody's a consumer, then the way that we can grow is to become consumeristic, okay? And so suddenly... That worked, and suddenly very big churches were popping up everywhere, and their message was to reach the unchurched, right? However, as the spirit to the relevant, or excuse me, as the shift to relevant to the culture church grew stronger, the depth of the relevant to the king church grew weaker. Our churches were growing, but the church was dying. And I personally call this the great growth dichotomy. That's what I call it. If I'm ever teaching a class, that's what we'll call it. So let me just show you something. The sermon today, if you're writing notes, is called Gold in the Temple. Gold in the Temple. 
Sounds like a Beyonce album. Does it not? You know? Copyright 2022. Um, gold in the temple. Th- those are the verses that I'm going to use. I'm going to hang out in Ezra. These are the verses. And I'm, today I'm using the NRSV. So that's a little different than what I normally use. NIV is close. You won't you know, be any different. But NRSV I'm going to use today. Every now and then I like switching it up on you, keeping you, keeping you on your toes. All right. So this is from Pew Research. This is the decline of religion in America for the past 60 years. Okay. Um, so you can see it's been very dramatic. Most of that religion uh, category is defined by Christianity. Christianity is overwhelmingly the greatest religion in America. Okay, Buddhism, all that other stuff is very, very minority. Um, so, so this is primarily Christianity. This is the decline over the past 60 years. Now notice, first half of that, it's growing, and then since then, it's, it's basically declining. Here's what I want to show you. This, remember what I just taught you about Bill Hybels um, and the idea that we're going to reach the suburban areas, all that other stuff with Cool Church. Ready? That circle is when that took place. That circle right there is when that movement took off in America, right around the early 1990s. I was born in 1991, so easy to remember because it goes right along with when I was born. Okay, so this is how, now I want to show you in comparison, because it's hard to tell, the portion that we are motivated by relevant church compared to before that became a thing. You ready? I want you to check this out. This is the comparison. Starting from the same point. Starting from the same point, do you see how dramatic of a decline there is compared to when church was all about, I mean, there was a lot of junk all in there, but more about being relevant to the Lord. See the difference? Okay, so when I talk about stuff, and y'all think I'm crazy, I'm not. Everybody good? Anybody want to take a picture of this? We'll post it later. Okay, here we go. Hezekiah, and I'm going to read this, shows Babylon everything. This is where we're going to start. You don't have to turn there. This is in 2 Kings, and I'm going to read this starting in verse 12. You don't have to turn there. 2 Kings 20, verse 12. I just want you to hear this, okay? Here we go. This is when Israel has kind of lost its mind, specifically Judah. It's kind of lost its mind, but they still got a little bit of its mind. Hezekiah was a good king. He had one flaw, and this is it. Verse 12, chapter 20, this is in 2 Kings. At that time, King Merodach Baladon, son of Baladon of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. So just to give you a backstory, if you back up in the same chapter, Hezekiah is sick with a terminal illness. He's about to die. Isaiah the prophet, from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet comes to Hezekiah and Hezekiah says, please go to the Lord and ask him if he'll heal me. Isaiah goes to the Lord. There's this thing with a sundial. And if a sundial turns to a certain place, the Lord will answer. You know, go back and read it. Um, long story short, the Lord heals Hezekiah. Hezekiah is healed. Okay. This is directly after Hezekiah's sickness is healed. So the envoys from Babylon. Does that Babylon sound familiar? Right? Babylon ultimately is what takes Judah into exile. This is before that. Okay? So this is when Judah is still Judah. Babylon is still Babylon. Right? But this is where the Babylonian encounter begins. Okay? 
So at that time, the king of Babylon sent envoys, a group of people, with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Verse 13. Hezekiah welcomed them. He showed them. What's up, dude? I was literally just thinking about you this morning. I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm so glad you're here. I literally, I was praying over you this morning. I thought about you this morning, so I'm glad you're here. Yeah, glad you're here, man. All right. Sorry to make that weird, but that was cool. Hezekiah welcomed them. He showed them all the treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that, listen to this, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all of his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Show who? The envoy from Babylon. 14. Then the prophet Isaiah came to the king and said, what did these men say? Because Isaiah is a prophet. He knows. Okay? Isaiah knows what's about to happen. What did they say? Where did they come from? Hezekiah answered, They have come from a far country from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Listen, verse 16. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your ancestors have stored up, that which your ancestors have stored up until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your own sons who are born to you shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs, listen, in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Why did he say that? For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. That, there's some bad to the bone stuff in that, what I just read. Babylon, who at that point has no relation with, with Judah, comes in. Hezekiah shows them everything. Isaiah says, what did they see? Hezekiah says, I showed them everything. Isaiah prophesies, days are coming when everything essentially that you have shown them will be taken away to Babylon, including your own sons. Why is that significant? Hezekiah, if you want to look at the notes. Hezekiah shows the envoy from Babylon everything within his house and within his realm, including primarily his treasure. What does Babylon, and of course you can see it on the screen, so what does Babylon represent in our context? Outside culture, okay? We, we've, we've talked about this when we talked about Psalm, is it Psalm 137. I've got it somewhere in here. But Psalm 137, at the shores of Babylon, we put up our harps and mourned, right? Babylon represents a culture that stands against Zion. Babylon, Zion, against each other. Babylon comes into Zion. Zion is the city of David, specifically where the temple is, specifically where the king is. So Babylon comes into Zion, and the king of Zion, Hezekiah, shows Babylon everything within Zion. And Isaiah prophesies, because you brought them inside and showed them everything within, there's going to come a day where that same group of people is going to come back inside and take away everything that you have showed them. 
What does Isaiah the prophet prophesy? Exactly what I just said. A day is coming when all your house, we could say all within your house, are carried away to Babylon. Anything you allowed Babylon within, Babylon will ultimately take away and rule over. Anything, what, did you remember the chart I just showed you, right? Anything that you allow an outside culture to come within as it relates to the presence of God, as it relates to the kingdom, anything that you allow to come in will ultimately take control and rulership over. Hello, right? So what determines how we do church nowadays? What's, What's popular in the culture, right? How did that start? It started with us bringing the culture into the church and saying, what do you think about this? Okay? So the first part of what I want to I teach you today is, is invitation. Invitation. You can write that down. There's three phases I want to show you today. Number one is invitation. And when I say invitation, it's exactly what I said. It's an invitation for an outside culture to come inside. Okay? That might look different. So it it could look different for your lives than it does in the church. For your lives, it might look like this. You allow outside influence to dictate how you operate within. Okay? So you judge, for example, your relationship with the Lord based on everybody else's relationship with the Lord. That could be one way. You judge whether or not you should be married right now based on the age of everybody else around you being married by now. You judge whether or not you should have a certain income by now based on everybody else around you that has a certain income by now. That, that's the outside culture being invited into our minds, and that will ultimately take rulership over it. How do we know this? Because how many people jump into relationship or jobs or careers or having kids way before they're ready simply because they've bought into a lie that everybody else is doing this by now and I should too? And it takes rulership. Invitation, number one. Nebuchadnezzar in 2 Kings 24, 13, I won't read this, but in 2 Kings 24, 13, Nebuchadnezzar actually comes in and takes all of the house of Hezekiah, Judah, into Babylonian captivity. Now let me read some notes. Babylon and Zion stand against each other in Scripture. Babylon represents many things, but we could say it represents culture. Zion represents the place of presence. Remember Psalm 137.1. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down, and there we wept when we remembered Zion. That's the exact quote, Psalm 137.1. So I'm going to show you this pattern, starting with invitation, from Hezekiah to exile and then to rebuilding. That is exactly what the church today, I believe, is going through. Why? Because you need to have a right understanding of what's going on around you and I to be enlightened about what's going on around you and I. Specifically, I know a lot of people listen to this that don't go to this church, but but today is primarily about dream church. Because there is a reason why we do church the way we do it, and it's not to be different. It's not to be, you know, give a middle finger to the culture, even though we end up doing that a lot of times, you know what I'm saying? But like, no, the, the reason that we do church the way we do church is because someone has to rebuild the temple. The temple has been demolished by modern church. And somebody has to rebuild it. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The Lord has gathered a group of people 
in the middle of the most religious place possibly on earth, South Carolina, right? That's funny, but like y'all know. And he's gathered us right in the middle of Zion's destruction and said, rebuild the temple. And so as we're rebuilding, I'm going to show it to you. As we're rebuilding, outside voices are saying, that's crazy. Why do you preach that long? Why do you do worship that long? Why don't y'all do this? Why don't, if you, brother, if you did that, you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? And so we're rebuilding a temple. And if you're not aware, enlightened, that what's happening on the inside of this church is a real rebuilding of the temple, you'll misidentify what we're doing and start comparing it to Babylon. And it's not going to work. We are not Babylon. Dream Church is not a Babylonian church. It's a Zion church, right? And so our focus is not how do we most closely relate to a culture. Our focus is how do we rebuild the purity that has been torn down in the temple. That, so everything we do, our money, our resources, our mindsets, our gatherings, Everything we do is not to reach out into a culture. It's actually to reach deeper into a culture that has been neglected. And I believe as we do that, then suddenly as the glory of the Lord rises from Zion, Jesus says like this, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. So we could try to reach all men or we could try to uplift Jesus to the point where he reaches all men on our behalf. One of those requires a lot of work. One of those requires nothing but rest. I feel good. So I'm going to show you this pattern. Proverbs 29, 18 says this. Where there's no prophecy, the people wander astray. Where there's no, I think the Passion says like this. Where there's no clear prophetic vision, the people quickly wander astray. If that's the case, then the opposite is also true. It's a hermeneutical way of studying the Bible. What is true if it's true, can also be inverted and still be truth. So let me say it like this. If, where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray, what is also true is, where there is clear prophetic vision, people are quickly brought back in order. Okay? And so the answer to a culture that has wandered astray, I believe, is a people that are living in a prophetic vision that has brought us back into order. It's prophetic vision. Okay? So Hezekiah has just been healed of his terminal illness before that point in the story. He's the king of Judah. Uh, envoys come from Babylon. Within the house, he shows them everything. Babylon represents culture. I'm just going through my notes. And what does Isaiah prophesy? A day is coming when everything is carried away to Babylon. Now, let me look at this real quick. Do you notice what Isaiah or Hezekiah says at the end? He says, The word of the Lord is good, for he thought, Why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. Essentially saying, who cares what's going to be taken away as long as in my time things are easy. And in a couple of verses, you can already see Babylon having taken over. Come on in. Let me show y'all around. You know what I mean? Check out the gold. This is David's sword. He cut Goliath's head off with that thing. Can you believe that? That's amazing. You know. Because Babylon's huge. So Hezekiah is trying to live up to Babylon, right? So Babylon comes in. They're the superpower of the world. Riches beyond their wildest belief. And they come in and Hezekiah says, if I'm going to be friends with these guys, they got to think I'm as rich as them. So let me show you everything, right? 
And Hezekiah, at the end of it, says, my sons are going to be taken away. This is going to destroy the next generation. This is going to destroy the house of the Lord. But as long as I don't see it, that's okay. One generation's compromise will be what? The next generation's captivity. Right? And it all happens. And Hezekiah dies. And when he dies, guess where his people are? In Babylon. So he didn't have to experience it. But there's no kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar takes it all away, and this is where we get the verse in Psalm 137. They're sitting at the shores of Babylon. They're weeping. They've hung up their harps, which is a beloved identity symbol, right? David played the harp. He was the beloved one. They've hung up their harps, and they remember Zion. And suddenly, when they're sitting on the shores of Babylon, they have an honor for Zion that they completely neglected when they were in Zion. And the Lord is saying, and this is what's happening right now, if exile is what it takes... I'm willing to send you into exile if you remember to honor the thing that you have access to. Church, you, people say all the time, churches are losing, losing people in droves. They absolutely are. Absolutely are. And the Lord's willing to let every single person leave, every single church, if that's what it takes for them to get home and realize, why am I so depressed? Why am I so anxious? Why do I worry about everything? Oh, wait a minute. I didn't worry about everything when I was in the house of God. You know what I'm saying? And what happens? Suddenly, when the exile is over, people begin to return. Except this time, when the call comes for you to go to the lake, there's an honor there. Just had to slide that in there. All right. Anything you allow Babylon within, it will ultimately take away and rule over. Now, um, let's go to Ezra 5. Ezra chapter 5, I think I told you Ezra 6. Go back, back up to Ezra 5, it's just right beside it. Ezra 5, okay? Now let me just, let me just read this quickly. Ezra 5, I'm going to start at verse 1. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, uh, son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheath, uh, excuse me, Shealtiel and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, set out to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and with them were the prophets of God helping them. That's a big verse. But this is what Ezra 1 says. This is how they got here, okay? So they're about to rebuild the temple, but this is how they got there. And I want to read this because I mentioned it in, in a worship, and I might bawl like a baby when I read this. But verse 1, chapter 1, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the king Cyrus of Persia so that he sent herald throughout all his kingdom and also a written edict that says, the people of the Lord may go back because of the word of Jeremiah. That's unbelievable. Go back and study that. So they've come back, a handful of them. Not everybody, here's the thing. Not everybody wanted to go back. I mean, if you study this, the king says... Hey guys, exile is over. You're welcome to go back home. Exile's over. You're welcome to go back home. And there is a majority of them that say, Babylon's actually not that bad. So Ezra, we love you, man. We support you. Your Lord's with you. You're going to do amazing things. But like, Babylon's not too bad. I, so there is a handful that actually go back. Because once you're in exile, right, other than a word from the Lord, why would you leave the richest place on the earth possibly at that point 
to go back to a bunch of rubble unless you have a word from the Lord to rebuild the rubble into something that it was before they destroyed it. I I can relate to this question because people ask me all the time, why on earth did you start a church in Columbia, South Carolina? Right? Because I saw rubble and I saw a temple that needed to be rebuilt. You know what I mean? I mean, in Babylon, I had riches beyond my wildest dreams. In influence, whatever you want to call it. Right? But, but there's a word of the Lord that comes in and says, I'm ready to rebuild my temple. And a handful say yes. By saying yes to that, though, I mean, this is what I'm talking about with our church. By saying yes to a rebuilding of the temple, you're saying no to a lot of the riches that Babylon had for a season. So when you're in Babylon, they got every program you can imagine they got every, every uh, obstacle course, slide, ladders, I mean, video games, Xboxes, youth, young adults, young kids, older kids, middle kids, crazy kids. I mean, you know what I mean? They got any program you could ever possibly imagine, right? But, but when you leave Babylon, you've got to come to an understanding that I'm here to rebuild Zion not duplicate Babylon. So, so when they're walking around and they're eating scraps and they're tired and people are having to stand at the gates and guard because people are coming in to stop them from building the temple, when they're doing and they're being threatened, when they're doing this, it would have been a lot easier to just go back to Babylon the same way it would have been easier for the Israelites to go back to Egypt. They had rich, at least we had food. You know what I'm saying? At least we weren't getting killed. We were getting beat, but we weren't getting killed. Right? You, they have to have a vision of what they are doing that looks completely different than what they had to leave in order to do what they were doing. They're there to rebuild the temple, even if it means inconvenience from the stuff we had in Babylon. Because in Babylon, we were slaves. We might have been rich beyond our wildest dreams, but we were still slaves. I'm speaking so prophetic right now. You know what I'm saying? We, we might have had $10 billion in an in a annual budget, but we were still slaves. You know what I'm saying? And so coming back to Zion, you have to have what I've been saying, prophetic vision to see what will be in order to sit in what you're in right now. So in this church, I'm not looking at, at what's in front of me. I'm looking at what will be, and that determines the decisions we make now. Right? So I'm looking at a temple and a people. When I say temple, I mean the church. When I'm looking at a church rebuilt, therefore we're making decisions right now not to compromise the purity of what we're doing, even though that would make us grow exponentially. Because we would grow exponentially now, but the temple would stay in rubble. And this is Zion. This isn't Babylon. Okay. So Ezra and others have been sent back to Jerusalem by King Cyrus in response to the words spoken in Jeremiah. They have a ton of opposition, but work to rebuild the temple and ultimately see it to its completion. As they are building, this is the account that Ezra five uh, that takes place in Ezra 5. So I want to give you that background. Okay, They set out to rebuild the temple of God, this is verse 2, in Jerusalem, and with them were the prophets of God helping. They're rebuilding hand-in-hand with the prophets. Huge. At that time, Tati, uh, excuse, I'm awful at some of these names, <laughs> Tatianai, the governor of the province beyond the river, 
and Shitharbozene and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? Who said you could do this? They also asked them, what are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until a report reached Darius, and then answer was returned by letter in reply to it. Okay, the copy of this letter uh, to the governor of the province beyond the river and his associates, the envoys who were in the province beyond the river sent to King Darius. They sent him a report in which was written as follows. This is a quote from it. To Darius the king, all peace. May it be known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built of hewn stone and timber is laid in the walls. This work is being done diligently and prospers in their hands. Okay, verse 9. Then we spoke to those elders and asked them, Who gave you a decree to build this house and finish it? We also asked them their names for your information, so that we might write down the names of the men at their head. Now, why do you think they're writing down the names? Ultimately, kill them. Okay. We wrote their names. Verse 11. This was their reply to us. We, this is how they responded when they asked, why are you doing this? Who sent you to do this, etc.? We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our ancestors, listen, had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. 13. However, King Cyrus of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, made a decree that this house of God should be built. Now, here's what I want you to pay attention to, these two verses. 14. Moreover, listen, the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, remember Hezekiah, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem and had brought into the temple of Babylon, these King Cyrus took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered by, to a man named Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. 15. He said to him, Take these vessels, go and put them in the temple in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then he came and laid the foundation of the house of God in Jerusalem, and from that time until now it has been under construction, and it is not yet finished. And now, if it seems good to the king, have a search made in the royal archives in Babylon and see whether this decree issued by Cyrus for the rebuilding of the house is good. Um, okay, so here's what he's saying. There's an invitation to Babylon, right? And then there is oppression. Okay, so invitation, number two, oppression. This is when you're either in exile or you've returned from exile, but there is opposition against what you're doing in Zion. I'm almost done, okay? Okay. So this is what it says in Ezra 5. I'm going to read this. Cyrus sends back Ezra and others to rebuild the temple through the word of Jeremiah. There's the verse in Jeremiah 29.10. This is what Jeremiah speaks. He never sees that fulfilled, but in Ezra 1.1, the Lord said, the reason I'm going to Cyrus to tell him to send them back is to fulfill the word I spoke to Jeremiah, which is right there. Okay? To fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. That's before the verse everybody loves to put on their bumper sticker. Okay. In verses 14 and 16, what was once the treasure of the Lord became the treasure of Babylon, 
because a king, Hezekiah, invited a foreign culture within his realm or house of Zion. What was once the treasure of Zion became the treasure of Babylon, the oppressor, all because one king invited an outside culture within. By way of a group of people, however, sent to rebuild what was destroyed, Zion, the Lord restores everything that was taken. We just read this, that Cyrus went into the temple of Babylon, took every single piece that was taken from the temple in Jerusalem and sent it back. And not just sent it back, he had a governor take that and place it where it goes in the temple. Uh, okay, this is, I mean, this is big. There are treasures that you and I should have access to within the church that have belonged to our culture for way too long. And as we begin to rebuild the house of the Lord, the Lord is not only going to reign in us, He's going to do exactly what we just sang, which is restore every single thing that was taken by a decision of a king or kings to invite an outside culture within. Y'all good? I know this is a lot. I know this is a lot, but I'm almost done. All right, last part, last part, last part. So you got invitation, you got oppression, and I'm going to talk about the last one. Uh, let me go to Ezra 6. I'm going to read just a couple of verses. This is what this says. They rebuild the temple, and this is what it says. This is the account of it. Verse 13. Then according to the word sent by King Darius, the governor of the province beyond the river, and that other dude, and their associates, did with all diligence what King Darius had ordered. So the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, son of Iddo. Listen. They built and they prospered through the prophesying of the prophets. That, that is amazing. Where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. So they're building through the revelation of the prophets. They're not building and then asking the prophets to come think, say what they think about it. They're going to the prophets to see what the Lord has to say about it and then building from there. Prophetic vision. So you and I are doing church, to, just to give you that example, we're doing church by way of a prophetic revelation that determines how we move, not us moving and then asking if prophetic revelation is along with us. So we're not saying, Lord, speak to our church that has already done this, this, and this. We're saying, Lord, speak so that we know how to do this, this, and this. Do you see the shift? Building through the prophets. That is amazing right there. 15. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Cyrus. On the third day. 16. The people of Israel and the priests, I've only got a few more verses, and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house 100 bulls, 200 rams, 
400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. I'm not going to teach this. Matt would teach it a lot better. If you go back, those numbers are in there very specifically. Very, it's to tell a story. They, did they sacrifice exactly 400 and exactly 200 and exact? Maybe. But the, this story is trying to tell us something way deeper than that. Okay, so I won't, that's, that's a whole other message. Go back and study that. Then they set the priest in their divisions. I want you to see the order of this. And the Levites in their courses for the service of God at Jerusalem as, as it is written in the book of Moses. They rebuild the temple. They reinstall the priest. Okay? And then this is what happens. Last few verses. Verse 19. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. <laughs> this is so awesome. Verse 20. For both the priest and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were clean. So they killed the Passover lamb for, for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by all who joined them and separated themselves. Listen from the pollutions of the nations of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. With joy, they celebrated the festival of unleavened bread seven days. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. They celebrated Passover. This group rebuilds the temple of the Lord, and their first festival, festival that they celebrate is Passover. Why? To announce that all had been made clean. I, hope, I really hope you're seeing some stuff right now. They celebrate Passover. They're rebuilding the temple. They rebuild the temple. They reinstall the, the priest, and the first thing they celebrate from the temple is a celebration to announce all have been made clean by way of the Passover lamb. This process, Lord, 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 hold on, hold on. I'm just seeing a lot of stuff. It was eaten by the people of Israel who returned from exile and also by all who had joined them. And, and this, is the, this is what it puts in here, on purpose. And separated themselves from the pollutions of the nations of the land. Who are the pollutions of the nations of the land? Babylon and Assyria. Okay, for the, for the other Israel, for the northern kingdom. Babylon. They separate themselves from Babylon. They come to Zion. They rebuild the temple. They reinstall the Levites, and they celebrate Passover. Which, um, there's, Lord, there's so much here. They rebuild the temple, okay? which is what happens in the wilderness when they build the tabernacle. They leave slavery. They come into the wilderness. A covenant is made. What is slaughtered? If you remember last week, what is the animal that slaughtered and the blood passed around to announce a covenant with God had been made? Anybody remember? Bulls. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls. And other animals. So they come out of slavery. They're in a wilderness. And at this point, here's the irony. The wilderness is Zion. 
Go read, go read Isaiah 35 and tell me if you don't see some stuff later in this. Homework. They come back, they rebuilt the temple, which points to the tabernacle being built in Exodus, and they celebrate Passover. Why would they celebrate Passover? One, because it was the time of the year for Passover. But the way the calendar is organized and probably the way this story is told primarily is to point out that Passover was the first festival they celebrated. Why? To point all the way back to when death passed over them in Egypt because of the blood of the Lamb. When death passed over them in Babylon because of ultimately one day a blood of the Lamb. Okay? They also slaughtered lambs here. Here's my point. Is that when they come back, there has to be a separation from that which polluted them and got them in exile in the first place. Before Passover is fully embraced, there has to be a cele- or excuse me, a celebration, Lord, a separation from the thing which polluted and defiled them and kept them from understanding the embrace of Passover, which in this case was Babylon. For us, it's a culture. There's a culture shift that most people haven't even realized we've made. Most of it's because I haven't declared it after, before today. We're rebuilding a temple. For the past year and a half, all we have talked about is a declaration that all have been made clean by the blood of the Lamb. We're installing the priest. What does that look like? It looks like you finally coming into a place where you understand that you're a royal priesthood. We're reinstalling the priest to worship God. And as we've separated ourselves from pollution, suddenly we're able to embrace a bite and a blood that we were never able to embrace before we separated ourselves. Let me put this up again. They celebrated. It was to announce that all the people were clean. I want to point this out. The process, here, I want you to see this. The process... From the day Hezekiah brought the envoys from Babylon into the temple to show them everything to the day that Ezra and the people rebuild the temple and celebrate Passover, 200 years. One decision from one king to show off the things within that were not designed to be shown off to another culture cost them two hundred years of having to come back from it. Two hundred years. Do you know how many generations that would be in this day and age when people did not live to a hundred? At Jesus's time, the average lifespan for just a normal person was about 30 years. Can you believe that? 30 years. So I haven't done the math, but you're talking about many, many, many generations that missed celebrating Passover, celebrating the things at the temple, celebrating the presence of God because of one king making one decision to show a culture what was within him when he was never designed to show that culture what was within him. The culture beyond was designed to look into the culture within and reform to that rather than the opposite. One decision, 200 years. I want to say that because there's grace and there's love, but the decisions that you make and I make and this church makes right now is not just implications of what we're doing today. One decision to compromise would cost us hundreds of years of what we were designed for. And that's not because the Lord is evil. It's because the Lord loves us enough to give us exactly what we ask for. And if we want a church that's exploding at the seams because we got all of Babylon in here, he'll give us what we ask for. We just can't question why we don't have Zion.
But this is the graph. For 40 years, the church has invited the culture around us to approve of what's within us. This has resulted in the culture within us being exiled to Babylon, where we have sat at the river and we've hung up our song of beloved identity. But Yahweh's plan is always, always condemnation to that which stands between us and redemption to our former rank. His plan, 100% of the time, is an eternal no to that which stands between us. He could have left them in Babylon, and they would have deserved it. But, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. He had to come after the pollution within them in order to get them to a place that is hope in a future. And if that's what it takes, he's willing to do it. Okay? Therefore, he has commissioned us, a small group of exiles, back to Zion to rebuild his house. And with rebuilding of the house comes the declaration of clean righteousness. If you're wondering why we are the way we are, it's because we are rebuilding the former house of Zion, the place where Yahweh rests with his people. This will require all of us to leave Babylon. It will require us to have an exodus of the heart. We can't come back to Jerusalem and wonder why the things of Babylon are missing. You are only here because you have a desire to find and rebuild the ancient path. Isaiah, will you hop up here? I don't know if this has done anything in you. But this is how it plays out. And where we are on this is only determined, only determined by our heart. That's it. That's it. So let me, let me say a couple things. Number one. I honor every single person in this room. I can't, I don't think if I shut this, it'll, it'll probably cut it off. Distract me. I honor every person in this room because you have made a decision. If you're here, if you're a part of this church, for those of you that watch, listen every week, watch every week, you've made a decision that there, there has to be another way. There has to be another way. This is why I'm here. I'm here today. Like, you know, I, I say this all the time. Do you, do you know, I mean, I don't, maybe you don't understand the security that we had to lay down in order to take this up. Can I be vulnerable? Can, can I just be real vulnerable with y'all for a minute? Um, I, I wept to my wife last night because this is hard sometimes. I mean, physically, mentally, spiritually. And, and sometimes I feel like I am the least capable person of doing this that's the enemy but like you know what i'm saying i mean sometimes sometimes i mean i told her last night i was like the thoughts that sometimes go through my head is like lord like we're 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 doing exactly what you've called us to do but but what if what if people don't get it we lose everything you know know what i'm saying i mean literally that's the thought like what what if what if we are faithful to the word of the lord and people just won't babylon what if no one's interested in dying anymore then we lose everything. I mean, literally, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's, 
And I was literally to the point of weeping last night because sometimes that weight can just start to like crush, which is when the Lord comes in and says, take my load, it's easy. And that's what happens when I come in this place every time. But I, I, I tell you that because I want you to understand the weight of this. Not, not that weight. Don't carry that weight. You know what I'm saying? That's not yours to carry. It's mine. But it's really not mine either. But like, did, we're not just doing church like this for fun. You know, like we don't worship like we do just for fun. I mean, it is fun. I don't teach like I do because it's fun, even though I think it's a blast. You know what I mean? I just, this week I started, I'm getting my master's degree. And the first teacher I'm learning from is a professor from Yale. And I love it. It's amazing. Like that, I, I love that. You know what I'm saying? And I love teaching like this. It, but, but we don't do church like this because it's fun. We do church like this because when we, oh man, when we started, I remember having a conversation with a couple of people that knew about this before anybody else did. And I remember saying, the thing that would kill me is if I got to my deathbed and looked back and said, what if we had said yes? Like, it, this is going to be the hardest thing we've ever done. But I'd rather say yes and fail than to look back one day and say, what could have happened? What, what kind of presence could my daughter be living in had we just said yes? And that alone <laughs> kicked us off the cliff to say yes to doing church completely different. Like, we're not here so that you can be, you're, we're not here so that you can have something to consume. We're here so that you can be consumed. You know what I mean? Like, you don't come into this place so that you can consume something. You're in this place because Yahweh really wants to consume you and me. And within that, we find everything that we did not know we actually wanted to consume. You know what I mean? Like you thought you came in here because I'm 30 years old and I wear ripped jeans. And then you found out, wait a minute, that's actually not why I'm here. I'm here because I didn't realize there's something on the inside of me that's crying out for this. There, there is a, the, the language, a frequency that's just buzzing through our guts. In work, like you felt it in worship. Okay, when, when, uh, when Julia hit, what was that something? Make room, make room. When Julia hit that song and the bridge, what, what's the bridge? Uh, shake, shake every, shake, what is it? Shake up the ground, all my traditions, break, break down the walls of all my religion, right? When she started singing that, I don't care what your background is. I don't care if it's your first time, thousandth time, whatever. When she started singing that, I, you could feel it. You, uh, it's almost like the Lord is saying, I've been waiting for you to say that. So here I come. You know what I mean? Make room. You can, I mean, you can feel a tangible presence that I guarantee you growing up in mumdrum religion, you did not feel except maybe once every now and then. And, and that is just the, I mean, that, that's not even the taste of what we're designed for, but we have to rebuild the temple first. And the, the reason I wanted to preach this today is because I just, I need you guys to understand that we do church the way we do on purpose, not by accident. And it's setting a lot of you free. It's setting me free. We have permission to look at this and say, maybe God is a lot more loving than we ever thought. I mean, and so I want to pray. If you would bow your heads.
I'm just going to pray over you guys. I'm on, I'm on. I just want to ask that you guys, as I'm praying, I want you to be in this mindset that you're, I'm not the priest of this house. I'm the, I'm the steward of the house of priests. I'm not the priest. You see what I'm saying? I'm a priest along with you. I'm not the guy. That's not how this works. And so I want you just to begin to ask the Lord, even if it's just prayer. I mean, what, what role am I called to play in this? Because we don't do that a lot. You know what I mean? I mean, we don't ask much of anybody because this is not a place where you come and show up and do your work and go home. What, is, what, what role am I called to play in this? It could be, you know what your role might be? Your role might be every Monday morning, I'm just going to pray over Josh and I'm going to pray over Isaiah. I'm going to pray over Matt. I'm going to pray over the leaders in this place. I mean, it could be that. For some of you, it could be, you know what? I'm going to give above and beyond what I've ever given because we've, we've, got, we've got to make sure this thing sees every single thing the Lord has called us to. I mean, I don't know what that is. But I pray right now, Lord, that you would just begin to reveal in the hearts of every person watching this and every person in person and every person listening to this later. I pray that you would begin to re reveal what role we are called to play in the rebuilding of Zion. Zion has been destroyed by Babylon. It has been demolished and all of the treasures have been carried off into Babylon. So in worship, a perfect example of that is in worship, in worship, we want big moments in worship because the treasure within worship is now in Babylon. Right? And so when that treasure gets restored to Zion, suddenly we get in worship and we start to see dimensions. And there's a shift that takes place because of where the treasure has been relocated to. So Lord, I pray that you would you would reveal to, what what role what is my part in this? Because it's not just Josh, it's not just Matt, it's not just Isaiah, it's not just Jordan with kids, it's not just you know. I mean, like, what, what is what is my role? If if the early church were today, which I believe we're getting closer and closer, but if the early church were today, as people are are literally laying down their lives for the church, what would that look like? I'm thinking of Stephen. Stephen is waiting tables. I mean, Stephen is serving food. And as he is serving food, he is ministering through the Holy Spirit in such a way that people are being completely redeemed. And do you know how he's doing that? He's waiting tables. I mean, that, that's what I'm talking about. As I say that, I think about Rachel. I know she's not here today. She's normally here. I'm thinking about Rachel. Rachel makes breakfast. I'm thinking of Stuart that made breakfast this morning. Like that, Those things are not insignificant. There, there is a ministry that begins to flow through the little things that make the church operate like it's supposed to operate. Angela's showing up early for prayer. That's a major thing. Tim is outside. Y'all don't know that Tim's outside cleaning up everybody's junk that, left, that was left over the weekend. He doesn't say that because he doesn't want praise, but he is. He gets here early on Sundays to do that. Those things are not, are not insignificant. Those things are bringing honor to a temple that has been destroyed. So Lord, I pray that you would reveal all those places within us that we are called to stay, take a step deeper. I pray that every part of us that has stayed at arm's length would begin to realize 
We, we either need to go back to Babylon where we're enslaved, but we have everything we could ever dream, or we need to make a decision for our children and for our children's children that we're going to rebuild the temple. And if we're going to rebuild the temple, we're going to have to change the way that we think because a kingdom is at hand. While your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just, I feel this. Is anybody in the room, maybe uh, you have no relationship with Jesus, but you really feel like you need, to, you need to get that going today. Anybody in the room, just throw your hand, nobody's looking around. Just throw your hand up, throw your hand up. Amazing, amazing. Is there anybody in the room that you feel like there is a step deeper that you need to take with the Lord, with the church, et cetera, that the Lord has, has started to reveal for you? I'd love to pray over that. Just throw your hand up if you feel like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome, 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 awesome. Lord, I pray that you would do that in us. Lord, would you, would you bring Isaiah? I think it was Isaiah or one of these guys mentioned this this morning, the story of Moses. And Moses, when he is holding up his arms, the Lord is fighting on behalf of the Israelites. And so his arms get tired and two people come up beside Moses and begin to hold his arms up so that Israel sees victory. If that's not a picture of the church, I don't know what is. And by the way, I'm not Moses. <laughs> You know, I mean, sometimes I feel like Moses, but you know what I'm saying? No, I'm talking, but, but it's, it's the idea that, that because we know we are designed to see victory, we're willing to do whatever it takes if it means holding somebody's arms up. And so, Lord, I, I just honor you. I honor you in this place. I pray that you would multiply our resources. I pray that you would pray that you would multiply our leaders. I pray that you would multiply our prophetic vision. And God, I pray all together, this is not random, but I pray that you give us a building. That is, that is our inheritance. It's our inheritance. So Lord, I pray that you would do that for us. We're coming into the land we were designed for. Flowing with milk and honey. So it's in your name. Amen. Amen.